church. It is so good to be here. My wife and I, Kay, we're looking forward to uh, being with you for many weeks. And uh, if you're a guest or a visitor like Kay and I, I hope you receive the type of warm Christian welcome that we did and that you'll continue to come to this gospel-centered church. It is great to be in South Carolina. I give you greetings from my church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We are your socialist sister to the north. As soon as we crossed the border, we felt like COVID was gone, erased. If you come to Raleigh, there are people still in hazmat suits walking around, warning flags everywhere. People are double and triple masking, you know, just, just to be extra cautious. It's, it's very different down here, and we love it. We, we, uh, yes, we, we love everything about uh, your state, this area. We love the mountains, and we love the beaches. And, we love your barbecue and, and just, just uh, everything that's attached to it. We love the fact that you have universities that, that have a mascot that's a chicken. We, we think that's cute and this is a wonderful thing. Of course, I'm, I'm from Michigan, so I'm a U of M fan and our mascot's a glorified weasel, so I, I don't have much to, uh, to brag about that. But it's, it's good to be here. And, and, and let me just tell you that uh, I have uh, been a part of God's work here from the beginning, um, especially with Pastor Matt. We, we have just enjoyed co-laboring together now for many, many years. Thank you so much uh, for the work you're doing through Pillar Network. And uh, you, you may not know this, but you're a really important church uh, because of your equipping and, and your sending and your desire. Uh, to be on mission, you you are a model for not just our growing network of churches, but uh, for the entire uh, Great Commission Baptist Convention of churches. And so thank you for what you're doing and what you're continuing to do. I absolutely love the fact that uh, you're a church that uh, understands the Great Commission. And, and to hear that you're sending to Chicagoland is super dear to my heart. Kay and I were engaged in Chicago, and um, we love that area. It is a wasteland, uh, spiritually speaking, and so our prayers are, are with those that are being sent, and, and, and we, we do pray that there would be now a multiplication of, uh, of like-minded churches in that much-needed area. It's the Great Commission that uh, we're going to be thinking about today, and I have the privilege to continue on and uh, your study in John's Gospel, John chapter 20. Did you know that the Great Commission is found in all of the Gospels? There is a, a Great Commission statement made by Jesus in every Gospel account. Of course, you, you probably know the one found in Matthew 28. That's the most famous one where Jesus said, All power has been given unto me, and now as you're going, make disciples. And, and baptize them in the name of, of the triune God and make sure you teach them everything that I taught you. Uh, there's actually a Great Commission statement found in Mark's Gospel. It's in a bit of a controversial section at the very, very end in uh, Mark 16, but it, it, it has Jesus declaring that, that we should be sent and go uh, to the nations and make sure we are 
baptizing everyone who believes. If it's not in the original, a good early church Baptist put it in there. And so praise God for that. Amen. There are actually two Great Commission statements that are found in, in Luke's writings, both in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and then another really important one in Acts 1 and 8, where Jesus, again, right before he ascends back to be with his Father in heaven, says, I'm going to empower you by my Spirit, and you are going to be my witnesses here and there and everywhere. The Gospels are replete with Great Commission statements. And, and, and they all have three things in common. They're all made by Jesus after his resurrection. They are all uh, compelling disciples to, to be sent to go uh, both to your community and then across the globe with the Gospel. And these disciples that are being sent are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I find that so important. Now, is there a Great Commission statement in John's Gospel? Well, actually there is. In the passage we're going to be looking at today, John chapter 20. And in John 20, it's a little bit different, uh, but it is definitely a Great Commission statement that the Lord is going to give us. And so, as we dig into the scriptures this morning, let me ask you a couple of questions. Personally speaking, do you feel like you have been commissioned by Jesus? I'm not talking about your pastors. I'm talking about you. Do you feel personally that you have been commissioned by Jesus? And to be honest, if, if you say no, not, not necessarily, then I'm glad you're here this morning. Let me ask you the question another way. Are you living the sent life? Would you describe your life as being a sent one? Are you living the sent life? If I could summarize this passage, and I'm so grateful that uh, you've given me this passage of scripture today to preach. I would summarize this passage from John 20, 19 to the end of the chapter this way. All of us are sent by Christ and empowered by God's Spirit to declare His gospel of peace and forgiveness. All of us are commissioned. We are sent by Christ. We are empowered by God's Spirit to declare a gospel of peace and forgiveness. I want us to consider that first. Let's consider this. God sends every disciple and empowers every disciple by his spirit. Verse 19, John 20. When it was evening on that first day of the week. This is the first Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. When it was evening on that first day of the week. The disciples found themselves gathered together, huddled up together in a, an upper room with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jews. And suddenly Jesus came and he stood uh, uh, among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Now having said this, he then showed them his hands, showed them 
his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they, when they saw the Lord. In that moment, the fulfillment of the, the Old Testament prophet came true that, that they would move from mourning to dancing, from grieving to rejoicing. And sure enough, the disciples were, were rejoicing in that moment. And so Jesus, verse 21, said again to them, Peace be with you. And here's the Great Commission statement. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father sent me, here's the model, so send I you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and this is sort of a, a transitional time, you see, when the new covenant was coming into being. Remember the prophet Jeremiah said that there's going to be a day when, when God was going to write a new covenant on the hearts of God's people. That covenant was being brought in, ushered in by the Spirit of God. And we were going to be sealed by that, uh, that new covenant forever. And so we're seeing this now taking place. The promise of the new covenant was being fulfilled. Jesus is, 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 is doing what he said he would do to his disciples. That he would bring in his comforter upon them. And sure enough, the Spirit of God was beginning to empower those disciples. And then Jesus gives the disciples an authoritative commission. He grants them authority. Verse 23, he says, and if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Very similar to Matthew 16, where Christ empowers the church with the authority of the gospel. I love this passage of scripture. This really reveals the entirety of, of John's gospel account. John wrote his entire book so that the reader might believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. That they might believe that God sent his son because he so loves the world. That he has a plan of, of redemption for them. He sent Jesus so that Jesus could show us what the good life is. Because Jesus said, I, I've come that you might have life and the good life. Life in its fullness. And so the, the, the setting of this amazing story takes place on the night of the resurrection. It was early in the morning that Jesus had rose from the grave. And, and, and the disciples, especially Peter and John, right, they experienced this because uh, when, when Mary Magdalene had, had gone to the tomb to, to pray and just to, to grieve uh, uh, there where Jesus had been buried, she, she saw the tomb was empty. Amen? And she comes rushing back and she tells Peter and John and says, the body's gone. Someone's taken the body. And they, they take off in a foot race as fast as they can and, and of course John in his humble brag to make sure he lets everybody know that he beat Peter there to the tomb but then Peter rushes right on in and, and then John comes in after the body hadn't been taken the body was gone because the burial claws were still there and, and the burial face mask that they had wrapped Jesus's head around that, that bloody face mask had been neatly folded up and laid next to the closet the body hadn't been stolen away 
And John says in that moment he believed, but he also then adds, but we weren't quite sure what all that meant, right? Honestly, we weren't quite sure. Why? Because they still needed the Holy Spirit to help them understand. It's exactly the purpose of the Spirit, to help us to get it, to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that we might believe. Now, now listen, as we look back at John's Gospel account, of course it seems to us like these disciples, they should have gotten it. I mean, from the very beginning, Jesus is declaring himself to be Lord and God. John the baptizer said, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Jesus comes on the scene and, and he says time and time again, I'm God. The very same thing that, that the Lord said to Moses at a burning bush so, so many thousands of years before, Jesus is now declaring to those he meets on earth. He says, I am. And there is no other. I'm God. He said, I, I am the bread of life, John 6 and, and 35. And I'm the light of the world, John 8 and, and 12. I'm the doorway to salvation, John 10 and 17. And I am your good shepherd, John 10 and 11. And I am the resurrection and the life, John 11 and 25. And I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14 and 6. And I am the true vine, John 15 and 1. And if that is not enough, when, when the opponents, when his enemies ask him uh, to declare his identity, he simply looked at them. And, and John records this in, in chapter 8 and 58. He says, you know, before Abraham was, I am. I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lord God. And, and the disciples should have known this, but they had yet to receive what you and I have fully if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, and that's the Holy Spirit. And, and so because of that and because they were absolutely gripped with fear that what had just recently happened to Jesus on the cross might happen to them, that they were too apprehensive to place their full faith in who Jesus is, too gripped with fear and to doubt in order to believe. It's the very thing that, that God sends us to do, to help people overcome doubt and fear, and placing their faith and giving their life to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, he, he simply appears to his disciples and shows them his resurrected and glorified body, still marked with scars on his hands and, and his side. And, and sure enough, what Jesus did, he said, peace be with you. Jesus offered them peace. He offered them peace, and that peace began to transform them. The one thing that the Lord does is he offers us peace. And it's a peace that, that passes understanding. It's a, it's a peace unlike any other. And they began to experience it and they had joy. He simply appeared and he said, may the peace of God be with you. Now he had told them that he was gonna bring them that peace. 
just a, a few days earlier when they shared that last Passover meal and, and Jesus went into a long discussion about what was going to happen to him and, and what was going to take place and then where he had to go. He said, now all of this is going to happen, but listen, friends, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't give peace like the world gives, so don't be troubled and don't be fearful. That's what the peace of Christ does for us. We don't have to be troubled. We don't have to be fearful. And, and really, the, the peace that, that Jesus gives to us is so far different than the, the peace that is being offered in this world. The, the peace of this world is of the same substance of this world. It's temporary. It's fleeting. And often it fails. The peace that Jesus gives is of the same substance of Jesus. It is enduring. It is forever loving. It lasts. It is not superficial. It is deep-rooted. And I hope that you know that peace this morning, that peace that passes all understanding. These are days, friends, where we more than ever need the shalom that Christ brought us. Amen? We need it. And others need to see it in us. So Jesus, he, 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 he reveals himself to his disciples and, and he grants them the peace of God. And then he makes that declarative statement. This is where he sends them on mission. And he says simply, just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. It's a very simple model. I was sent, now you are being sent. We are sent because Jesus was sent. And it basically works this way. Jesus was sent to this earth to reveal the Father. We are now sent to reveal the Son. And both Jesus and us were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be sent on mission. You remember at Jesus' baptism? God the Father is looking down from heaven, and here comes the Holy Spirit like a dove and indwells and empowers Jesus to go on mission. In the very same way, Jesus breathes on the disciples and he empowers them by the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus sent by the Father to be on mission. We sent by the Son, both empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the sent life. When Kay and I moved down uh, from Michigan down to North Carolina, we had to figure out all the bumper stickers. And, um, and, and there was this one bumper sticker in particular that took me a while to figure out. It, it, it just simply had two words. It said, salt life, salt life. And I guess I was looking, salt life. I couldn't figure out what that was, salt life, salt life. And, and then finally I saw one and there was a picture of like this big marlin fish. And I was like, ah, it's the ocean. Salt life, because in, in Michigan, we have a lot of water, but no salt in our water. And um, God's blessed the water up there. And, and, and so 
I realize that, that what this means is that there's this, there's this culture around the beach, this culture around the ocean. In other words, the salt life and everything that rep it represents is the good life. Salt life is the good life. Every person that you come in contact with has a, a definition and a desire to live the good life. For some, it's living on the beach. For others, it's making a lot of money. Everyone has in their mind the good life. Can I tell you what the good life is for the Christian? It's the sent life. It's the sent life. That's the good life. Because that is the life that Jesus lived. He sent by his Father down to this earth. And every moment he spent, he spent being sent by God on missions. You re realize, and, and you can trace throughout John's gospel account, there's a, there's a sub-theme woven in every chapter about Jesus being sent. 24 times that word is used by John in reference to Jesus. He's the center. He is the word of God who created all things, but he is sent into this world, John chapter 1 and 14, so that the word might become flesh and reveal God to us. He is the one who is sent into the world to take away the sins of the world, John 1 and 29. He was sent into this world that, that, that he might reveal to us his kingdom so that we might be born again, John chapter three. He was sent into this world so we would finally understand what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. And he was sent into this world, John chapter 5, so that we would not be condemned by God, but rather loved by God and enjoy eternal life, John 5. And I could go on and on and on. Christ was sent and then he sends us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the first important lesson. The second is this. Christ, he sends us on mission to declare his gospel to a skeptical world. He sends us empowered by the Spirit, but, but he also sends us to declare his gospel to a skeptical world. We find that in the little brief narrative surrounding one of the disciples named Thomas, verse 24. But Thomas, called Twin, who's one of the twelve, but he wasn't with them that evening when Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. So the other disciples, they were saying to Thomas, Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails on his hands and put my finger in the mark of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. It was an entire week later, verse 26 that his disciples were indoors again. They liked to hide at that time. And, and Thomas was with them. And, and even though the doors were locked, Jesus then in his glorified and resurrected body, he just came uh, before them and stood among them. And here he goes again, peace be with you. He greets them the very same way. But then he looks to Thomas, verse 27. And he says exactly what Thomas asked. He said, put your finger here. Look to my hands. And reach out your hand and put it to my side. And don't be faithless, but believe. That word is such an important and powerful word. 
John's Gospel. To believe means to live. And Thomas, knowing that he was facing not just his rabbi, now his Lord, he declared and made his good confession, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. So, so Thomas was a skeptic. I don't, I don't discount him for that. He, in many ways, was a very diligent follower of Jesus. And then later, he became one of the most faithful of all of Jesus' disciples. Church history tells us that Thomas was the one who took the gospel all the way to the, the current uh, country of India. But in this moment, he wanted proof. He, he demanded that. And so Jesus appeared to him in order to remove all doubt. And once Thomas saw with his own physical eyes the resurrected and glorified body of Jesus Christ speaking to him, Thomas made that good confession of faith. Jesus, you are Lord and you are God. And then Jesus blessed Thomas. But then Jesus gave a blessing to you. He blessed Thomas in that moment. But then he gave a greater blessing to you if you believe. He said, Thomas, good job. You've seen me and you believe. But more blessed will be those who don't with their physical eyes see my resurrected and glorified body. And yet they believe. Now here's the thing, friends. If your confession today is the same as Thomas, that you would declare Jesus Christ is your Lord and your God, then that is the greater confession and you receive the greater blessing. Now after 2,000 years of the church being tried and persecuted, of skeptics and doubters trying to denounce our faith, after 2,000 years, if even one of you would be willing to say, Jesus is more than a good man or a good teacher. He is Lord and he is God. That is a miracle by the Holy Spirit. I'm just wondering if anyone in you would raise your hand and say, that's my confession. Anybody? Friends, that is a miracle. Do you realize by raising your hand, by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, you realize what a blessing that is. That tells me that you have been given this gift of faith by the Holy Spirit and that you believe just as Thomas did. And if you can raise your hand, then you don't need to worry about other skeptics. You don't have to worry about it. As a matter of fact, I simply want you to engage the skeptical person just like Jesus did with Thomas. It's okay. Recognize their doubts and recognize their fears and, 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 and recognize their questions. But you simply return and say, no, I believe. And let me show you from God's word why you should believe as well. I want us to be sent into a skeptical world just as Jesus dealt with Thomas. He is sending us the power of the gospel. And friends, he sends us with the same gospel that they caused Thomas to believe and us to believe. And we can be used of others to believe as well. Now the third thing is this. The third point is that Christ sends us on mission to offer a lost world 
the grace of life. He sends us on mission to offer to a lost world the grace of life. The, the really the ending of John's gospel is found here and then there's an epilogue in the next chapter. But John, he writes, after Thomas's great declaration of faith, he says, and Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that they were not written in this book, but these were written. I wrote these specific things so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life through his name. Thomas's confession reaches the pinnacle of John's gospel. John says, I, I could have written volumes of all the things Jesus said and all the things that Jesus did. No, I just, I just handpicked a few to show you, like Thomas, like the disciples, I wrote these things that you might believe exactly who Jesus is. The Son of God was sent into this world that we might believe. And we are sent to tell others so that they might believe as well. That's the sent life. That's the good life. And however God might use you, however God might use Christ Fellowship at Cherrydale and your wonderful church plants and all the work you're doing everywhere, if Christ might use you and one person might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's God Almighty, and you're experiencing the best of life, the sent life. You experience the same life that Jesus himself experience. Growing up in a, in a Baptist church, we sung the old hymns. And I remember every once in a while when a missionary would come through, and he'd usually make his presentation, right? Show some pictures and raise some support. And I love those times. And then uh, being good Baptists, we'd break out the hymnal and find a missionary hymn. And there's one missionary hymn that I remember singing growing up. It was called, So Send I You. So Send I You. And uh, I did a little research on that, on that hymn. I realized that that hymn was written because of John 20. As a matter of fact, that, that, hymn, that, that hymn was written by, by a Christian lady who grew up in Canada by the name of Margaret Clarkson, 1954. And Margaret so desperately wanted to be a, an international missionary, but she had a physical handicap, and, and so she couldn't live overseas. And, and, and yet, she had such a desire for missionaries that she wrote a hymn. And, and she actually, in 1954, was going through a period of time of, of depression and desperation. And she wrote this hymn, and the, the first version of it is kind of gloomy. It's kind of sad. It's true. It talks about all the suffering that missionaries experience. But then 10 years later, she rewrote it. She added another part. And she added a part of the glory of being a sent one. Because she had realized after 10 years, she could be a missionary in Canada. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> she could be a, a sent one wherever she lived and served. She was a school teacher. And she had learned what it meant to be on mission for Jesus. And so she, she wrote the second stanza of this. And I just, I just wanted to pick out a, a, a stanza from the first, the original, and then the second. So send I you. So send I you to leave your selfish life's ambition 
to die to your desires and your self will resign. To labor long, to love where you're reviled, so send I you to lose your life and mine. Ten years later. So send I you, by grace made strong, to triumph over hell, over death and sin, my name to bear, my name to conquer. So send I you, my victory to win. Jesus was sent by the Father to reveal the Father. Christ sends us to reveal Him, the Son. His love and His loyalty to us brought Him to the cross. Being God, He was resurrected and now ascended. He sent His Spirit to indwell us. And now He says, so send I you. My love, my loyalty to Jesus. That's what keeps me pursuing the sent life. And I pray that your love and your loyalty to Christ would do the same. Let's pray together. Father, the sent life, that's the good life. And that's not just reserved for missionaries that we send across the world. That's the blessing that every born-again believer has. We're all sent. We're all on mission. Jesus is the model. Just as he lived the sent life, he has commissioned us to live it as well. So, Father, I pray by your Spirit. Would you help every believer here today in this parking lot to understand that they have been commissioned. They have been commissioned. And they have been sent. Father, I pray that you would bless their efforts. In their homes, they are sent to, to minister the gospel to their spouses, to their children, to their neighbors, to their friends, in their workplaces. And yes, as they plant churches here and everywhere, sending to proclaim this good news. Father, please reveal yourself. Bless them in their efforts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.